Leadership Next is powered by the folks at Deloitte, who, like me, are super focused on how CEOs can lead in the context of disruption and devolving societal expectations. Welcome to Leadership Next, the podcast about the changing rules of business leadership. I'm Alan Murray. And I'm Ellen McGirt. And I'm not hungry. Do you know why, Alan? No, why, Ellen? <laughs> <laughs> because my delivery from Whole Foods just arrived. And I will tell you, I've been relying on it, not just for myself during this shutdown, but because I've been able to send healthy meals and food to my mom, who's 90 and struggling a bit down in Florida. And so that's been a real peace of mind. Well, Ellen, I'm glad you and your mom are both well-fed, but we should probably let our listeners in on why we're talking about Whole Foods. The reason is because our guest on Leadership Next today is the founder and the CEO of Whole Foods, John Mackey, who is a real trailblazer in several different ways. He founded Whole Foods in Austin, Texas in 1980. But he also, roughly a decade later, started the conscious capitalism movement. He was one of the early CEOs who felt like capitalism needed an upgrade, as Dan Shulman put it, needed to be uh, treated differently. And so he came up with this notion of conscious capitalism that we're going to talk about today. He is absolutely the real deal, and he has brought together a really interesting group of leaders and entrepreneurs who believe the same thing and put into practice. I've spoken at the Conscious Capitalism Conference a couple of years ago. It was a wonderful experience, and I was able to speak with uh, former Governor Deval Patrick about his life, and uh, he fit right in, too. Yeah, yeah, it, it's become a real thing. Uh, so I'm, gl- I'm glad we have John Mackey on. Most of our listeners will know that Whole Foods was acquired by Amazon in 2017, which uh, from an outside perspective, I would say Amazon had a very different culture than the Whole Food uh, culture. And we're going to get John Mackey to talk about that. We sure are. And we're also going to talk about his new book, which I have on my desk right now, called Conscious Leadership, Elevating Humanity Through Business which honestly is the perfect theme for this podcast. So let's do it. Let's hear from John himself. John Mackey, you were talking about conscious capitalism long before all this stuff came around. So what is conscious capitalism and why the heck did you start talking about it? Well, um, it's a good question. Real simple. I'll give you the elevator pitch for conscious capitalism. It's, It's not socialism. It's capitalism, but it's done in a more conscious way. And we recognize four major pillars in conscious capitalism. The first pillar is that every business, every organization has the potential for a higher purpose besides just maximizing profits. Number two, all the stakeholders matter, not just the investors, customers, employees, suppliers, communities, investors. And business needs to create value consciously for all of them. Third, we need a different kind of leadership in the world. We need more conscious leadership, leadership that's less about enhancing its own power and wealth and leadership that's about serving the organization and serving serving all the stakeholders. And fourth, we need to create cultures where human beings flourish, where people really like coming to work and being at work helps them grow to their highest potential as human beings. And John, what prompted you to go in this direction? You were so much before all the conversation we're hearing now. What led you to that point? There's, I could tell you the story of the flood that happened in 1981 that wiped our company out. That's when I discovered stakeholders because hopefully should have died. We had a near-death experience and 
I didn't have the language back then, but our stakeholders saved us. Our customers and neighbors came up and cleaned up our store and everybody pitched in and gave us money. We got, uh, I got a banker that I found out later loaned us money on my signature, but I found out later that the bank turned it down. And so he personally guaranteed it uh, himself because he knew I'd pay it back. I, I got that sense of stakeholders very early on. And then I wanted to get the conscious capitalism movement going because I really feel like business is misunderstood in the world. It's seen as, as a bunch of selfish, greedy bastards that are just in it to make as much money as possible. And while there are some people that are like that, that's not most business people, not most business people I've known. It's certainly not true of most corporations or companies in America or the world. And I also think people inside business increasingly haven't thought about it in the right way. I wanted to give a different vision about purpose and stakeholders and leadership that puts business in a, uh, business is the greatest value creator in the world. It creates far more value than all the governments and nonprofits combined. It's not that they don't create value. It's just that business is the real value driver and helps create progress on this planet. That's ending poverty. If we go back 200 years ago, 85% of everyone alive lived on less than a dollar a day. Now we're down to, you know, that figures down to like seven or 8%. So it's been capitalism. It's been business. It's lifting humanity out of poverty and transforming the world and making our lives better. And it's misunderstood. I wanted to get a different narrative out there. John, I, I was lucky enough, I got not one, but two copies of your new book over the weekend, and I dug into it a bit. And you go into some really lovely detail about leaders. I wanted to follow up on the, the new type of leaders um, that we think we need now who continue to learn and grow. And you touched on things that people think they may know, emotional intelligence, social intelligence, among other things. But I was hoping you could expand a little bit on your cultural intelligence advice, and in part because I think right now, it can speak to the most, some of the issues that we're having as a society around diversity and inclusion, which is my my big beat at Fortune. One way to think about what's happening in the United States right now is that there are different value systems that are clashing, and the values that they represent are important. And so what I think needs to happen in America, if you're asking me in cultural intelligence, we need to recognize that all the values are valid. It's not that one set of values has to overwhelm and force itself on all of America. The attempt to do that is going to be it's just going to create more and more tension and hatred and anger in America. Instead, what we need to do is we need to seek the higher ground. It's not a win-lose framework. And that's one of the, by the way, I, I'm going to make a little aside here, and then I'll come back to the major thesis. I do think that many people have misunderstood stakeholder theory. They misunderstand it because they're putting stakeholder theory into a win-lose framework. And by that, I mean, okay, hey, these rich people, they've been winning. The investors have been winning. And now we're going to, they're not going to win anymore. We're, we're not going to win as much. We're going right. to have this trade-off. So they're going to give more to their employees and higher wages, and they're going to pay more taxes, and they're, they're going to be better in their communities and more socially responsible. And in the win-lose framework, they see that as its trade-off. The Jeff Bezos of the world or the Bill Gates, they've been winners, and they need to give back to society. So that, that's a win-lose framework. But in a win-win-win in a framework, when you think about stakeholders in a win-win-win framework, it's not that the investors start to lose. They should be continuing to win. You're just creating structures and strategies 
that allow all of them to win simultaneously because they're integrated together. We need a win-win-win framework for these values. Right. All these values are in tension with each other, but they're all important. We can't throw one of them away. Right. We need to seek the higher ground where all of those simultaneously flourish. So I think I have an idea of your view of how business leadership should work. But people do have different values and different approaches. I'm not sure I would have pegged Amazon as being high on the conscious capitalism list. How do you find that uh, working for you? Well, the first thing you'll learn about if you're going to be a conscious leader is you don't spend a lot of time judging other people's consciousness. (laughs) (laughs) You're saying you're not going there. I'm not going to go there. If you're asking me how the merger's gone, the merger's been a really good thing for Whole Foods. As I lay out in the book, in the chapter on win-win-win solutions, I talk about how all the stakeholders at Whole Foods have won from this merger. But I also use a metaphor to explain it. When two big companies merged, and Whole Foods was about a Fortune 200 company when he merged with Amazon, 100,000 people working for us, 20 billion in sales now. So it's like a marriage. You change in a marriage. If you're married, you know you change because you're not going to stay married if you don't. And you don't love everything about your your spouse. You know, I mean, I'm happily married for 30 years. My wife's completely transformed who I am. I'm her major project in life, in fact. And she's (laughs) done a pretty, pretty good job, although she'd tell you there's a long way to go. And I love almost everything about my wife, but I don't love everything about her. Yeah. Well, no, I, I hear you. I love most things about Amazon. I do. It's been a good merger. They taught Whole Foods a lot. We're a much better position competitively than we were. But I don't love everything about Amazon. Whole Foods has its own culture. Amazon has their culture. And to Amazon's credit, they haven't tried to force their culture on us. It's kind of like I was talking about what makes for a good society. And I was talking about the value systems. Amazon has some different values in Whole Foods, but they haven't tried to jam Amazon's culture down our throats. They've let Whole Foods be Whole Foods. And we're changing through the marriage because they're influencing us, but they're not making us change. They respect us. They're letting us be Whole Foods. I'm here with Joe Yukazoglu, who is the CEO of Deloitte U.S. and had the good sense to sponsor this podcast. Thanks for being with us and thanks for your support. Thanks, Alan. Pleasure to be here. So, Joe, business leadership used to be about setting strategy in the C-suite and then giving orders to everybody down the line, telling them what they need to do to implement the strategy. But today, things are moving too fast for that kind of a top-down approach. How do you be an effective leader in that kind of rapidly changing environment. You hit the nail on the head, Alan. We've actually given a lot of thought recently to adjusting our own leadership frameworks in terms of the attributes that are necessary to serve as an effective enterprise leader. In this environment, the longstanding hierarchical pyramid with orders coming down from the top simply cannot effectively deal with the pace of change. Being a great leader in this environment requires a lot of listening, empowering one's people, setting the tone for a culture of innovation and strategic risk-taking. Because at the end of the day, you can't be involved in every interaction with your customers, with your employees, with your regulators. You have to instill in your professionals a sense of values to drive the way in which they'll make those on-the-spot decisions on behalf of the organization. Thank you, Joe. Alan, it's a real pleasure. And we're back with John Mackey 
founder and CEO of Whole Foods Market. Since we're living in crazy times, COVID-19 times, could you talk a little bit about what that's been like, how you were able to keep people safe, the kinds of decisions that you made, and any new innovations that came out of this time? It's been, oftentimes people think because Whole Foods business has gone up. It's been good for our sales, but it's been incredibly challenging. If you think back on it, we didn't know how long this thing was going to last. And if you told me last March, we'd still be kind of shut down. I would have been screaming because I wouldn't have never believed it, right? I thought this, we'd get through this quicker. But it's always been our highest priority to keep our customers and our team members safe. By the way, this has been a good thing about Amazon because Amazon has pushed Whole Foods to be even safer and more careful than we might have been on our own. And so we've been recognized repeatedly as the safest supermarket during COVID times. And Amazon gets a lot of the credit for that. So Whole Foods has done a number of steps to do that. Everybody that comes into work at Whole Foods and every store has to go through a temperature check. And then we began to mandate masks, that our team members had to wear masks. We were one of the first to mandate that across the whole company. We've done a lot of things. It's changed things at Whole Foods a lot. Honestly, our stores aren't that fun to shop at right now because it's become a transaction. You just want to get in and get out. You, you got your list, you get in, you're six feet away from everybody, you're, you're wearing a mask. Right. You can't take any samples. That's right. To love. We had to shut down our salad bars, our yeah. hot food bars, anything with self-service, we had to shut that down. And, uh, you know, that's a significant part of our sales. So that's been a countervailing for us. But, hey, our online sales tripled and uh, pickup has, has gone way up as well. So that'll be a permanent change as well. We won't go back to pre-COVID completely. We'll have a lot more people that continue to shop online. But in general, Whole Foods markets, uh, we haven't given any statistics on this, but I can tell you that both our sickness, our COVID infection rates, our serious illnesses or even deaths are far, 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 far below America's numbers. So I feel like we've done really right by our team members and help keeping them safe. John, Ellen and I have been doing these interviews uh, since March now. We've talked to a lot of CEOs who have a growing interest in stakeholder capitalism. But the one thing that most of them don't like to talk about is CEO pay. And you took that on from the beginning. You said the CEO and the executive should be limited to a certain multiple of the average worker. Can you talk about why you did that? Yeah, happy to. By the way, Alan, I subscribe to the CEO daily. Good man. I've been listening to you talk about stakeholders now for the last several years. So I know it's a- You getting tired of it yet? No, <laughs> it's so important. You know why CEO's pay is important? It's important because it's communicating throughout the whole organization. And it's not just CEO pay. It's people have to believe that the overall compensation system is fair. And when you get too big of a spread, it just doesn't seem fair anymore. And that's arbitrary. And I'm, I'm not saying anybody should do what Whole Foods has done. We just, we've changed it over the years as we've gotten bigger because we have to keep bringing people in, higher paid people. But I think we're, we're locked in at 19 times the average pay. And we publicize, we have transparency on our pay. That's worked really well for Whole Foods, may or may not work for other companies, but I do think there has to be sort of this social contract that you have with the rest of the organization where people can see that what other people are getting paid. It also gives, when you have transparency and pay like Whole Foods has, then people see what gets rewarded in the organization. They also see what they can aspire to. If they get promoted, then they can expect to make it in this range of pay. And it also, it creates more fairness because if you're overpaying somebody, 
it gets seen by other folks that kind of keeps that in check to a certain extent. So I'm a, I'm a great believer in both pay caps, salary caps, and also wage transparency. But you know what, Alan, if you're, if you're the average guy or average woman who's been in a corporation and you're getting promoted, you're going up the ladder, by the time you get to be the CEO, you may only have five, six, seven, eight years in that seat, and then you have to retire. So I think a lot of them have this attitude of, I finally arrived. I'm now going to make the big bucks. Right. And they, they feel like I paid my dues. I worked for 20 years or 25 years and I, I deserve it. It's kind of like doctors. I would oftentimes ask my doctor friends, you guys are making a couple of million bucks a year for, you feel like you deserve that? And they said, I went through hell to get here. <laughs> I had to medical school, I had to go to residency. I, I didn't get paid. I had to work these long hours. So yeah, I'm making the big bucks now, but that's because I earned it. I deserve it. And I think that's how most CEOs think about it too. I earned it. I deserve it. Oh, I hear that. Alan and I have also been thinking a lot about what's happening for the mid-career professionals. What's your best advice for people who are right in the middle to become better leaders and to drive innovation back to their companies and their communities in whatever way works for them. If you get stagnant, then work's not going to be fun anymore. You're going to feel trapped. I just feel like particularly the way knowledge is accelerating, what you know is going to be out of date in just a few years. It's going to be less and less relevant. So you have to have this attitude that you're going to continue to learn and grow and get smarter and better, more emotionally intelligent, more skilled, I just think we should dedicate ourselves, if I'm a middle professional, to just the sense of excellence, to try to get to be more talented, more skilled. It's great advice, John. Thank you very much for that. And thank you for taking time to be with us today. I want to tell you, since you went through that very compelling uh, comparison of the merger between Amazon and Whole Foods to a good marriage, that today is my 36th wedding anniversary. (gasps) Alan! Thank you, Alan. You didn't know that, did you? And my plan is to go to Whole Foods and buy a couple of great steaks to cook on the grill and open a bottle of wine and celebrate it tonight. So thank you both for the steaks and the great advice. Everybody take care. See you on the other side of COVID. I hope so. Thank you. Leadership Next is edited by Nicole Vergala, written by me, Alan Murray, along with my amazing colleagues, Ellen McGirt and Megan Arnold. Our theme is by Jason Snell. Executive producers are Mason Cohn and Megan Arnold. Leadership Next is a production of Fortune Media. Leadership Next episodes are produced by Fortune's editorial team. The views and opinions expressed by podcast speakers and guests are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Deloitte or its personnel, nor does Deloitte advocate or endorse any individuals or entities featured on the episodes.